Hi comrades, and welcome back to Marxist Voice, the podcast of the IMT in Britain. In the run-up to the anniversary of the Russian Revolution, but also in the run-up to this year's Revolution Festival, the School of Communism, we will be publishing for the first time as a podcast this six-part series by Alan Woods on the Russian Revolution. From February 1917 to the seizure of power by the Bolsheviks and the working class, Alan will take us through some of the most important lessons that communists must learn today in order to take the struggle forward. But if you want to hear more, then come along to this year's Revolution Festival, where we will hear topics such as the Soviet economy, how it worked and how it didn't, was Mao really communist, and how communists approach questions like the Ukraine war. To get your tickets, head to revolutionfestival.co.uk forward slash tickets and join us at this year's Revolution Festival, the School of Communism. The February Revolution had swept away the Tsarist oppressive regime which had existed for hundreds, hundreds of years. And yet this marvelous revolution, this popular revolution, failed to solve the fundamental problem, which is the problem of power. The workers and soldiers, that's to say the peasants in in uniform that carried out the revolution, proved to be unable to take the power into their own hands, which they could have done and should have done through the agency of the Soviets. And therefore, the February Revolution, in effect, ended in in an abortion, which is known to us as the regime of dual power. That is to say that the state is divided, the power is divided into two halves. On the one hand, the Soviets, representing the mass, the millions of workers and peasants and soldiers and sailors, these were the real power. Even in February, that was the case. That was the reality. The the power, in effect, was in the hands of the Soviets and the Soviets alone. And yet, at the same time, you have this parallel uh, organization, this parallel power of the bourgeoisie, the bourgeois provisional government, the government of the landlords, the capitalists, Milyukov and company, which proclaimed themselves to be the government of Russia, although, in effect, It was a government that was suspended in midair. The real power, I insist, being in the hands of the Soviets. And the problem here is that the workers and peasants, newly aroused to political life, deposited all their confidence in the reformist leaders, if you like, of the Soviets, the Mensheviks and the social revolutionaries, the SRs. And these reformists, in turn, obligingly handed the power or attempted to hand the power over to the bourgeois provisional governments. The masses trusted their leaders and the leaders in turn were attempting to bolster the leadership of the provisional government. Now, I have in my hands a very interesting book by a man, Nikolai Sukhanov, who was a left Menshevik. He was on the left wing of the Menshevik party, in some ways sympathetic to the Bolsheviks, but of course he vacillated. And Suhanov was a most valuable eyewitness account of these months 
following the February Revolution. He was, in fact, a member from February onwards. He was a member of the Soviet Executive Committee and therefore had quite a he was in a good position to understand and see how things were developing. And he has this to say, if I may quote from him, from his memoirs. He says, but the Soviet was now identified with its petty bourgeois opportunistic majority. The majority did not want power and was afraid of it. But it had it in spite of itself. And then it was obliged to apply all its energies to hand over the government the totality of its power and lay it at its feet. This was the Soviet line. Now, this is the, the words of Sukhanov. Of course, the bourgeois uh, provisional government had no intention, was not able to solve a single one of the pressing problems of the masses in Russia at that time, which could be summed up in, in three things. What did the masses want? Very simple. Peace, bread, and land. The burning desire of the workers, the soldiers, the women standing in the bread line, and so on, the peasants. The peasants were hungry for land. The women, of course, wanted bread to feed their families. And above all, the whole of the people, particularly the, uh, the soldiers suffering dreadful hardships and death and misery, in, at the front, desperately desired peace. Yes, but the provisional bourgeois government could not and would not grant these three very simple demands, which constituted the basis of, of Lenin's slogans, of the Bolshevik slogans, peace, bread, and land. Why not? Why couldn't they do these things? It seems perfectly simple. Not at all, not so. Because the Russian bourgeoisie, the belated, corrupt, degenerate, effete Russian bourgeoisie, was on the one hand tied hand and foot to the landlord class through the banks. The bankers owned, had shares in factories, the factory owners uh, also owned land. And of course, there was an absolute uh, dread on the part of these uh, possessing classes, dread on the part of the liberals in particular, of any threat to private property. And therefore, if you touch the land of the landlords, you can't do an agrarian reform, which is a fundamental demand of the peasants, which constituted the vast majority of the Russian people at that time, this was a threat, a mortal threat to private property as a whole, to the, the, the factories, the banks, and so on and so forth. And therefore, there was no way that this provisional government was going to carry through an agrarian reform, the first demand of the, uh, of the masses, if you like. And of course, the question of peace was impossible for the simple reason that Tsarist Russia was up to here in debt, always was. Billions and billions and billions of, of rubles in debt to the French and the uh, British and the Belgian and the American uh, bankers. And therefore, there was no way that they could uh, defy the Allies and sign a separate peace with, with Germany. It was out of the question. On the contrary. <laughs> And therefore, because none of the problems were solved, you see, the masses in a revolution learn, and they learn quite uh, quickly, as a matter of fact. And very quickly, the workers and the peasants and the soldiers began to understand that this was not it, that they, they weren't uh, achieving the goals of the, of the revolution. And therefore, even earlier than June, starting in April, 
there was a series of, of mass mobilizations, mass spontaneous demonstrations of workers and soldiers demanding the carrying out of, 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 the, of the basic things which they, which they needed. Uh, one of these demonstrations, a series of demonstrations which took place in April, led to the downfall of Milyukov, who was the, the, the main head of the provisional government, the head of the cadet party, the liberal party. And the Soviet leaders found themselves obliged, reluctantly, to enter a coalition government, forming uh, the second version, if you like, of the provisional government, a coalition including the labor leaders. Uh, Tseretseli, the leader of the Mensheviks, became the minister of posts and uh, telegraphs. And Kerensky, Alexander Kerensky, became the minister of war. And as the minister of war, because he immediately, what does he immediately offer the Russian people? Well, a new offensive to please the allies. More deaths, more slaughter, more massacres at the front, more loss of life, more suffering for the, the people. <clears throat> this was the recipe the, 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 which is cooked up by the reformist leaders who, who in effect were acting as the stooges, as, as the shadow of the bourgeois, this shadow bourgeois government suspended as I say, uh, in the air. Of course, the discontent of the masses, particularly in Petrograd, although not only in Petrograd, but particularly in the capital, which was the most advanced section of the working class and the soldiers and sailors, which I'll deal with that in, in a moment, led to, to a, 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 a rapid increase <coughs> in the support for the Bolsheviks. Now, this was seen as a deadly threat. It was regarded by with, 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 with horror not just by the bourgeois and by the liberals, but also by the, uh, if you like, the Russian Tony Blairs, to use that expression, the Russian uh, uh, reformist, right-wing reformist leaders, who, uh, who the bourgeoisie was leaning upon in the provisional government. They, they regarded this with horror. And therefore, there was an enormous campaign, a, a vicious campaign of slanders, of calumnies, of lies, uh, directed against the Bolshevik party in general, and against the person of Lenin in particular. He was regarded with particular uh, distaste, to put it mildly, with horror, in fact, by all the reactionary forces, which were, were gathering around the provisional government. The provisional government became, if you like, their, their main source of salvation, the main hope of the possessing classes uh, uh, in Russia. And therefore, an enormous campaign of vilification was launched against the Bolsheviks in, in general, and Lenin in particular. The main slander, which I see, I note, uh, it's, it's quite astonishing, all these decades later, a hundred years later, they've revived this nonsense, this muck, this vomit, this poison, which was put forward by the, by the right-wing press, the reactionary press, the Black Hundreds press, that Lenin was supposed to be a, a German agent. They still produce this nonsense, this uh, crap. To this day, a series of books have been produced by Americans and also, of course, by Russians. Now, with the Russian bourgeoisie, the Russian bourgeois so-called scholars, nothing scholarly about that scum, that uh, riffraff, that uh, make money out of pandering to the Russian oligarchy and to Putin and make a lot of money out of this. It's an industry of churning up the, the old muck, the old uh, slanders, which are completely baseless, that Lenin was supposed to be a, a German agent. Uh, they whipped up an hysterical mood. 
But nevertheless, that did not stop the advance of the Bolshevik Party. On the contrary, I mean, where every strike that took place, there was a, they were attacked. The workers were attacked. The strikers, oh, you're Bolsheviks, you're followers of Lenin or the German agents, and the, the workers who probably never heard of Lenin would turn and say, okay, so we, so that's what the, so we Bolsheviks, okay, we must be Bolsheviks, and the Bolshevik Party began to grow. On the basis of the enormous discontent and frustration and uh, impatience of the, of the masses, which were beginning to see through the uh, treacherous uh, conduct of the, of the reformist leaders and the Soviet leaders, and of course the liberals. And therefore, the demand which Lenin put forward was, was in consonance. You see here the skillful tactics of the Bolsheviks, the skillful tactics of, of Lenin, who understood the workers. He understood that the, the, it's a process. Of, of, the, of, the, of the workers gradually coming to understand the reality. And therefore, it was necessary to put forth a series of timely transitional demands, peace, bread, land. Oh, yes, peace, bread, and land, and of course, all power to the Soviets. But of course, the Soviet leaders, as Sukhanov correctly pointed, pointed out, did not want the power, had no intention of taking power, were terrified of taking power, because all of these leaders, and that's the case, by the way, of reformists, all reformists, the left reformists, as well as the right reformists, are convinced in their heart of hearts that the working class cannot take power, must not take power. Power must be in the hands of the smart people, the clever people, the people with the money, the bankers and, and, and capitalists. So therefore, they had no, no intention. And Lenin's slogan was quite a, a skillful slogan. He didn't say down with the provisional government, which after all included uh, labor leaders. He put forth a different slogan, break the coalition, down with the 10 capitalist ministers. That was the slogan that Lenin put forward. And also he advised the Bolsheviks, quite a, a sound piece of advice. Patiently explain, my friends. Patiently explain to the workers and the soldiers and the peasants, step by step, the reality of the situation and the need, ultimately, that the workers must take power into their own hands through the Soviets, summed up in the slogan, bear in mind that the Soviets at that stage were controlled by the right wing, by the Russian Blairites, as I put it, a little bit unkindly to the, to the Russians. But nevertheless, the slogan he put forward was all power to the Soviets. That was the central program. And this slogan was gradually finding an echo in the workers who, who could see through this nonsense about Lenin, the, the German agent, and so on and so forth. That appealed to the petty, the crazed petty bourgeois elements, the well-to-do uh, ladies and gentlemen parading their nice clothes on the Nevsky prospect, but not to these, the soldiers in the trenches, and not to the workers in the factories, and not to the women standing in, in, in bread creams. They understood. And therefore, as Sukhanev uh, points out, he was a Menshevik, of course, by the way, not a Bolshevik. But as even he says that the Soviets at a local level were, quote, unquote, filling up with Bolsheviks. And that's a fact. The worker sections of the uh, Soviets were being, Bolsheviks were being elected and replacing the reformists. They were filling up, much the same as the Labour Party in Britain that was filling up with uh, new, more radical uh, elements, supporters of Jeremy Corbyn, and, uh, and pushing out the, uh, the old... Uh, rotten right-wing elements, and that's uh, a good thing. Of course, Russia was in a far, far more advanced stage than that, but it's the same similar process, as a matter of fact, if you think about it.
The worker sections were filling up. More importantly, the factory committees, which were, were actually more representative than the Soviets. The Soviets were a little bit cumbersome, uh, a little bit slow in reflecting ch changes in, in elections and so on. But the factory committees, of course, were more, had more regular elections, and there the Bolshevik Party really began to, to, to take over, particularly in Petrograd, which is the most advanced, the most advanced layers, the metal workers and so on and so forth. The Bolsheviks there had already by June had an iron grip. Oh, yes, they had a majority. There's not much doubt about that. By, by June, they also began to win, win over key regiments, which had previously supported the provisional government, but had, had come out against, particularly when Kerensky ordered, ordered a new offensive. This was uh, like a red rag to, to a bull to the suffering soldiers. The, the machine gun regiment uh, came over to the Bolsheviks, so very important. And other important regiments in Petrograd were infected by the general mood of radicalization of the workers. In Kronstadt, of course, the key naval base, the sailors generally and the Air Force, the Air Force and the Navy in most countries has always been to the left of the army because there, of course, if you think about the composition of, of a battleship, the, the type of people that are not peasants but are actually workers, industrial workers, stokers, engineers, and so on and so forth, from the factories onto the battleships. So these battleships, in effect, were like floating factories, where the class consciousness of the sailors was, was far in advance of the rest of the armed forces. Kronstadt, therefore, very quickly became a Bolshevik uh, bulwark, a center of the Bolshevik power. As a matter of fact, the anarchists were present, but in, in small, small numbers, actually. The, the presence of the anarchists in Kronstadt has been greatly exaggerated. No, the Kronstadt sailors in 1917 were overwhelmingly Bolshevik. And Le Lenin and the Bolsheviks decided to test the ground, if you like, by calling uh, to test the, 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 the balance of forces in, in, Pe in Petrograd by calling for an armed demonstration. They called on the workers and, and, and soldiers and sailors to turn up with guns on the streets, not, not to take power. That's nonsense. That was uh, the nonsense that was put forward by the the panicky uh, reformists who thought that Lenin wanted to take power. Not so, not so. The purpose was different. The purpose of the June demonstration, who called for the 10th of June, was actually to put pressure on the Soviets. The Soviets held the first Congress. In effect, it was the first Congress held at that time. The reformists still had a majority, though the Bolsheviks had a, a growing presence in the Soviets, as I've pointed out. And the purpose of the street demonstration was to put pressure on them to break with the uh, liberals, to break with the capitalists and uh, take power, which they could have done and they should have done. And that would have changed the whole process of, of, of the revolution itself. Of course, when the, when the uh, Soviet leaders found out about this and when the bourgeois found out about it, they were horrified. They were shaking in their, their shoes. They, they, they conducted a colossal campaign against this campaign, the slanders that the Bolsheviks wanted to, to stage a coup against the, the Soviets and so on. So, of course, it was just nonsense. They had no such intentions, it's just uh, not, not the case. It was to put pressure on the Soviets to break with the, the capitalists. But there was such a, such a degree of, 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 of calumny, uh, slanders directed against them. And because they were in a minority, 
You see, all this nonsense about Lenin uh, organizing a, a coup of a minority is just it doesn't bear examination. Precisely because they were in a minority, they decided to back off and cancel the demonstration, which they did. They didn't want to, uh, to, 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 to stage a provocation. The Soviet leaders, in the meantime, decided to hold their own official demonstration, Soviet demonstration, led by the reformists, they as they thought, on the following Sunday. The Bolshevik party immediately uh, seized upon this and encouraged the workers in the factories who were mass meetings and in the barracks also to participate in this uh, in this. Uh, official Soviet demonstration on the Sunday. And of course, when the Soviet leaders turned up to the reformist leaders turned up to this demonstration, standing on the tribune, to, they hoped to, to greet the loyal forces of the working class and the soldiers of Pentagon. They had the shock of their lives. Let me just describe here, I have here uh, the, the eyewitness account by the same man, by, uh, by Sukhanov. And he says the following, he was standing on the tribune with the other Soviet leaders and saw these workers and soldiers advancing towards the tribune. And he writes the following, I, if, if I may, I'll quote his words. But what was the political character of the demonstration, Sukhanov asks? Bolsheviks again, I remarked, looking at the slogans. And there behind them is another Bolshevik column. Apparently the next one too. I went on calculating, watching the banners advancing towards me, and the endless rows going away towards Michael Castle, a long way down the Sadovi. All power to the Soviets. Down with the ten capitalist ministers. Peace to the hovels and war to the palaces. In this sturdy and weighty way, worker, peasant, Petersburg, the vanguard of the Russian and the world revolution expressed its will. This is the Menshevik uh, Sukhanov speaking. The situation was absolutely unambiguous. Here and there, the chain of Bolshevik flags and columns was interrupted by specifically SR and official Soviet slogans, but they were submerged in the, in the mass. They seemed to be exceptions intentionally confirming the rule. Again and again, like the unchanging summons of the very depths of the revolutionary capital, like fate itself, like the fatal Burnham Wood, there advanced towards us, all power to the Soviets, down with the ten capitalist ministers. I think that these words are sufficient to, to uh, underline the point that the uh, this demonstration demonstrated clearly the enormous power of the Bolshevik party, the correctness of its slogans, which was already beginning, at least as far as the capital was concerned, already had succeeded, not in conquering power, that was not the intention, but of conquering, oh yes, of conquering the mass of the workers beginning with its vanguard.